Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I think they were arrested for drug dealing. Incredible. Welcome back to TF3 and the person making up the three this week with Kristen Hennage. Chris, welcome. Evening. Is Nipun Chopra from ULF, from WST? Got any other acronyms we can throw in? PhD? Um, yeah? PhD? I was just yeah. going to throw that out there. Why did you take away my punchline loss? It's a, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here with you guys. What does the PhD stand for? Pretty hard, uh, and it's, an, it's a synonym for penis. Good. Nice. Yeah. You can Thanks. say dick on this. Don't worry about it. Oh, pretty um, hard dick then. Anyway, if you guys don't know who Napoon is, then you should. Um, he hosts a Manchester United, and it'll sound unusual when I say it, a Manchester United and Liverpool podcast, um, which surprisingly works. Um, although yeah, some of the reviews say not, but it, it surprisingly <laughs> works. Um, and he also hosts the World Soccer Talk podcast, which also does a Sunday night review. But it's shit, so no need to listen to that anymore. Um I'm only saying that because we don't. We also make a Sunday night review, and I also used to host the the World Soccer Talk Sunday night review. Anyway, it's um, only gone. It's only gone downhill since you left, Lawrence, because we have Chris on every week. I listen every week, and it's actually fantastic. Um, mm. I, the, the weird thing is, I listen to three reviews of the weekend. I listen to Ramble, I listen to uh, Football Weekly, and I listen to World Soccer Talk, and all three of them all say different things. It's only the front three that consistently says the same thing every week. Um, so there you go. Varied views. Um, there's only one place to start because it was Super Sunday this week, guys. And it's West Ham nil, Southampton 3. Chris, these are the breaks. Things just don't fall for West Ham in this game. And as much as Payet and co. pushed at 2-0 down, when Noble got off the pitch, he said it could have been 6. I think you alluded to the problem partly there in your Mark Noble. question, yeah. which was oh. Payet. Um, I think... There's far too much reliance on him. I, I don't think West Ham have actually built on last season or built on an idea that doesn't involve him being incredibly influential. And it, again, you look at that bigger pitch, you look at <clears throat> the move to the stadium, not just in terms of the changing atmosphere, but the fact that they're now playing on more space, I think. Um, that's that's difficult to, to keep up that same kind of play that they did last season. And I think it is the perfect storm of bad events that starts with a, a summer in which they couldn't get the targets they really wanted. They had to settle for players, I think, in, in the key areas, mainly striker, that they weren't too bothered about. And it's it's coming home to roost early in the season. 
Mm. How do you see it over there, Napoon? Because obviously in England, and especially in London, there's so much coverage of the fact that West Ham have turned on themselves. They're cannibalising each other. There's the clip going around YouTube right now. You know, don't, don't fucking interview him, man. He's a <laughs> fucking disgrace. Whilst two angry men look at each other. Um, you know, it's, it's, on, it's, it's so weird to watch sort of fans turning on each other and yet there was so much positivity at the beginning of the season. This is a new mm-hmm. start. And not all West Ham fans are like that because some of them are very reasonable people. Some of them, um, just like Donald Trump said. Um, <laughs> but some of them are, you know, they come over here. The West Ham fans, they come over here. They're rapists. They're drug dealers. <laughs> you know, and some of them are reasonable people. For once, we found a use for Donald Trump quotes. But my point with this, Nipun, is that uh, West Ham fans... Are, are suffering right now. No one's helping. I mean, we we talk about West Ham fans, and just at the end of the season, we saw them basically almost take down a bus full of Man United players, right? So there there are those crazy fans, and they are turning on themselves a little bit. But I I sympathize with them. Having said that, I sympathize them with a little bit uh, with them just a little bit because I see that stadium. It, it's uh, we've talked about it before on other shows. It feels as though. Uh, it, it, does, it feels nothing like Upton Park, at least watching it. Of course, I've not been there. Um, and there's some frustration with the way this team is playing. Um, in the first half, Lawrence, I, I thought West Ham kept the ball pretty well, but created absolutely nothing. And it was only ever going to be a Southampton goal. And it came from basically the first time that Southampton counterattacked, they scored. And it has to be very frustrating for those West Ham fans. Yeah, Chris, I mean, what is it at this point that Bilic can do? Because to some extent, this is a, a Bilic-created problem. I mean, you know, Dave, Dave will be waxing lyrical about Bilic's mistakes at this point, like he has week after week on this podcast. Is is that part of it? I mean, you know, the, the point made by the West Ham fan who's apparently not worth listening to was, you know, if we get rid of Bilic, what do we do? That is a good point. I'll give him credit for that. Um, I think... The the issue I have watching them at this precise moment is he keeps um, naming one up top and it tends to be Simone Zaza. I don't know if Zaza has the the kind of skills <clears throat> you need to be a, a lone target man in England. I think realistically he needs more support around him. I've liked some of what Ashley Fletcher's been able to do, the, the lad they signed from Manchester United in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I think they need more support. I think he has to be willing to try a different kind of formation. The difficulty he will have in doing that is how do you then incorporate Pae? Because uh, he's tended to work in sort of a midfield three off a striker, maybe in a number 10 role. I think today was in left midfield um, or on Sunday was in, in left it, midfield. It was sort of left kind of, it was, it was kind of left centre. So it was, um, it was very much like the Labour Party right now, but it was sort of left centre kind of trying, mm. trying to attack the D. Um, of the of, of the penalty area, I got distracted. Then thinking of, I heard Napoon make a noise, yeah. and I said the D, and it all got very distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, but PhD you, baby, but you know what I mean by that, right? I mean, you know, he's mm. sort of a, almost the Coutinho position, you'd say, Chris. It, it that's the thing as well is it looks quite imbalanced if you look at that midfield three that plays just behind Zaza. You've got Antonio Lanzini Pai. For me, Antonio is is as close to, as you'll get in in that team to a traditional winger who'll want to go outside and want to challenge against the fullback and throw crosses in. Pae doesn't really want to do that for, for my money. Someone actually that likes to 
to drift inside, see what he can do, pick passes, pick opportunities. And it just doesn't really work as a, as a harmonious outfit. You then look at the fact that Gokentor, who was brought in, I think, to play as a wide player, has been really poor. Um, if if I'm correct in saying this, a few West Ham fans have, have said they tried to get Sisto and settled for Tor or, or the other way around. They basically ended up with Tor, and that's looking an increasingly worse deal as the weeks go on. They just need some kind of change formationally, um, and I'm not sure necessarily how that manifests um, because it will likely mean dropping one of the established players. I mean, Nipun, I'm only putting it out there. I know that hindsight is, you know, it's 2020. But 30, sometimes, 60, right. Well, sometimes it can be 50 50. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the point is that there are, that, that West Ham over the summer are obsessed with a few things. Um, Karen Brady, and like the Football Ramble have pointed out, um, oversaw the most successful stadium transition of all time. And mm. thats a, it's an unusual turn of phrase because there have not been that many stadium transitions. Um, and ultimately calling it the most successful. You sort of think, what does that mean? You know, well, we made Captain it. Captain of the Titanic, I always saw the most <laughs> successful <laughs> mid-cruise disembarkment. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, Too soon for that joke, Chris. I mean, well, yeah, as it, yeah, especially on the anniversary. Um, but I mean, at the same at the same time, um, you know, they were also obsessed with their status. They were obsessed with the fact they were moving in the right direction. You know, with uh, portraying that image. You know, we've got the new stadium. Um, we, we, we're going to be debt free. Um, which then turned out to be debt-free caveat from people we don't want to owe money to, but we aren't officially debt-free because we do still officially owe money to some other people. Um, and not only that, but people were constantly saying, if they lose Pyatt, they lose the status. And it seems a little bit like everyone at West Ham was a bit distracted by keeping status and therefore Pyatt ahead of the overall real progression of the team. And so we got a bit sidetracked almost by linear progression when actually there were some small things which would be much bigger steps in the long run yeah from the outside looking in i mean i think the stadium thing was good Uh, they've moved to a a better stadium quote unquote of course we we know the problems with having the players away from the pitch and the history of upton park and stuff like that so i have some sympathy there but i think your point is absolutely valid Lawrence, I, I don't think they did enough to reinforce their team. Some of the things Chris mentioned, I think the losing Ener Valencia, who who uh, on to, who went on loan to Everton, uh, who played fairly well for them last season. At the start of the season, when they were firing on all cylinders, he was he was a big part of that. So when you see the lack of product on the pitch, I wonder had they focused as you said, maybe more on stuff on the pitch as opposed to uh, about the stadium, perhaps. Billich and and uh, West Ham wouldn't be in the spot they're in right now because I look at Billich Lawrence and he looks he looks like a man devoid of ideas right now when you compare his reaction to the goals that went in this week versus goals we saw we saw how angry he would get when West Ham made simple mistakes last season uh, even when they won right now even when they're losing and and dropping goals uh, he, he looks like he doesn't have a different plan mm, very good point. Um, but Chris, to completely flip that, Southampton looked very good in this game. Tadic, Long, Hoijberg. Is it Hoijberg or is it Hoyerberger? Or is it Hoyerberg? Or is it, you know, whoever? Um, because matches they didn't seem to be able to make their mind up. And then, of course, Romeu offering a platform mm. for those two guys to go forward. Uh, it's the second one. So if you keep saying it like that, I'd be much appreciated. Hoyerberg. Um, Hoy- 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 <clears throat> 
I, th- I think the thing is with Southampton, they keep making these smart investments. So one of the things I really like about Hoiberg, apart from his passing and his movement and all of those technical aspects, is how much he drives the team on. There was a, an instance, I want to say near the end, maybe injury time, where there was a really sloppy pass that was given away in the midfield third, and he's absolutely furious, and he's berating his teammate like it's 1-0 and it's just 10 minutes in. And I, and I kind of love that mentality. I think mm. he brings with them the standards of a big club. Right. And when you have a player who does that, it, it will, like a, you know, a rising tide, raise all the ships around it. And they've got some consistency now, it seems, in, in Charlie Austin. Funny enough, a player that, that West Ham apparently turned down the opportunity to sign and I think would be perfect for them at this precise moment. And it's, it's about making those incremental changes. This is the thing, and, and I think I was guilty of this in the summer, talking about the fact that maybe they'd made one too many changes and allowed one too many to go out. But actually, if you looked at it on the surface, Shane Long and Pelle and Tadic, they kind of shared the goals out last season. There wasn't really one runaway striker for them. So allowing Pelle to go for what was a good fee for a player of that age made complete sense. Um, and I think they've... The players they've been able to pick up, the likes of Nathan Redmond, they've actually given them a different dimension in the final third. Uh, Shane Long is very fast, but he's not someone I'd consider a dribbler per se. Nathan Redmond is, and it's telling that that kind of pace and, and energy is what brings them most of their goals because it does just unsettle the opponent and open up space in the, the way that it did for, for Austin with the first. Mm, well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to like about Jeez. There's a lot to like about Southampton this season. I've been away with their fans. Good fans, good people. Um, I hope they do well this season. Lovely kit too. That away kit looks good, doesn't it? Anyone mm. else think that away? Anyone else just like a black away kit on this podcast? What's your favourite kit this season? Napoon? Oh. Um, Feel free to pitch in at any point, Napoon. I mean, you know, you, you, know, <laughs> you don't have to eat your dinner whilst you do this. <laughs> well, I, Red I Bull having... Leipzig. Their away kit's quite nice. Oh, interesting. You, okay. you really do love yourselves on Red Bull Leipzig we this really season. Do. And um, Ajax is a wicket. It's gorgeous as well. Pronounce Ajax, but all right, mate. It, um, it incorporates the, the three X's of, of Amsterdam down the, the middle. Ah, nice. yes, very good. Yeah, yeah. X's. X's always coming back into the picture. Yes, yes. Yeah, I tried to pick one up quite recently when I was in at Skipple Airport, but they've shut the, the Ajax shop down. Unfortunately. Few, okay, no, the, and, the way and, that you picked up off the back Jersey. of... I was going to say, the way you picked up off the back of Napoon's comment there, it was a little <laughs> worrying. Um, Napoon, your favourite away kit? Or, or just kit this season? Couldn't get I, it I really... airport anyway. <laughs> I like Sunderland's away. I like the pink. I'm, I'm a big fan of that jersey. Wow. Okay, you mm. really have hit middle age. Yes. Um, I, I, who should I go Yours? for? Um, I just like a nice. Nah, Napoon wears some well trendy clothes. I've seen his photographs. Yeah, I know. On Facebook, he, he, yeah, but that's because he only posts when he wears trendy clothes. Um, that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. um, he doesn't shop at Forever Twenty One, but that's the theme. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, got for Forever, got Forever Twenty One, but just turned thirty. So about to turn 33. Thanks a lot, Lawrence. Fuck off. You look great. Um, <laughs> you really do. Uh, anyway, Arsenal 3, Chelsea 0. And it was indeed also Super Saturday, uh, as North London was red, as Ozil said, Chris. Uh, why isn't it working for Chelsea, though? They're just disorganised. There was a, an instance in the second half. I mean, surely where... that must be so fucking frustrating for Conte, who's just come from the most organised team in the world. 
Well, that's the other thing is there is a massive talent drop off between the defenders at Juventus and the defenders at Chelsea because no. again, there is though, and and also they've had time to really bet in. They play together for the national team. It's just a well-oiled machine, the Juventus defence. But there was an instance in the second half where the Chelsea back four or whatever it is was running back to their goal and it was kind of more like a an R shape instead of a straight line. Mm. And it allowed Ozil uh, in behind really easily. And that, for me, just embodies that, again, this team is just not very well put together. And it also, I think, puts a spotlight on the David Luiz signing. Because he is not, for me, someone you sign if you're trying to build a stable back four. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, that is an interesting point. Uh, the, I, I quite like the, the risk element with uh, Luis here, but I mean... He's Nick, a good... I mean, look, he put, a, he put on a great pass in that second half that split on the defence. But, but honestly, if I'm Chelsea, and I don't even think this is hindsight at this point... I would have much preferred them to try and go for a defender that maybe they overpaid for on the lower end, so kind of someone who's 15 to 20 million, than spending close to 40 on someone that you know is not the right answer. I mean, Chris, that's what I, that's what I slightly feel contrasted with, and we'll come on to the Liverpool game later, but Liverpool have acquired Clavan and Matip, two ball-playing centre-backs in the off-season, for free and free. I think Clavan was free, was he? Relatively low. Five million. Free, five million, sure. That's free. Um, in the Premier League, that's free, Chris. Um, come it's probably on. the most expensive Estonian goal, I would have thought. Yes, but I mean, then the, the problem was that he did play in that absolute thrashing that, that Estonia took that time. Um, he didn't. Lawrence, can I can I ask you guys a question about if you must, uh, and I must about Antonio Conte? How? What if we came up with this idea and, and talked about this? So, so. Antonio Conte, we talk about the talent he's worked with. He's obviously a very good tactical manager. But what if with Antonio Conte, the success he had with Juventus, with Italy, was not because of the players he had, but in spite of the players he's had, he had? I've talked about this in another podcast. So look at his career, right, with, with Bari, Atlanta, uh, Siena. Obviously, Juventus and Italy are the ones we focus on. But even with Italy, the players he had in, in, in the Euros – if you look at Italy's squad as opposed to the squads across Europe, Italy's squad wasn't that great. Let's be honest about it. It was a fairly poor, poor squad by Italy's standards. Juventus too. When he when he got to Juventus, they had they were in the uh, you know they were basically the phoenix rising from the ashes. Of course, he had the likes of uh, BBC then uh, starting up. He had Andrea Pirlo. But perhaps we should look at Chelsea and the fact that it might not work for him because his system, his draconian measures rely on a player that is completely malleable versus the kinds of players at Chelsea yeah. who we know have a lot of power. So I, power. I, then maybe I wouldn't put it down to it being in spite of the players, because I, I do think very often, you know, I mean, that that Italy team was one of the best drilled teams. So it was, it was clearly being, uh, you know, carried out by the players. Mm. So the players are clearly capable of that. I do sort of worry that that actually... Uh, and, and this is what I find unusual is that, you know, sometimes the perception of a manager really doesn't help with the analysis of a team. And the perception of Conte mm. is he's a top end manager and therefore mm. he, he must be a great manager. And I think it's also the fact he comes from Italy. People don't question him so much. And Nipun, maybe you can, you know, I mean, maybe you'll disagree with this a little bit because you're not the biggest Rafa Benitez fan. But 
I do mm-hmm. feel like when Benitez went, you know, when Benitez wasn't able to make it work, it was very much, well, it's because Benitez doesn't know how to communicate with the players or mm-hmm. these players aren't right. And I get a similar feeling with Conte that almost the players just aren't reacting, like you say, to his draconian ideas, or maybe that's a little harsh, but, you know, the idea that he, the ideas that he wants, which is hard work, essentially. Um, and, you know, and that's all well and good every couple of weeks, you know, when Hazard wants to show people, yeah, I'm putting right. a bit of work. But to actually do that every week takes a very different mentality. It really does. And, and I guess it comes back to the, the fact that when, when things are going well, which was what was happening, right? The first three weeks, Chelsea ended up scoring goals, usually through Costa in the last minute. When spirit is going, when things are going well, you don't really notice these things from your manager because it, it manifests in the sense that you're winning games, morale is high. But when things are not going well, when you've just lost to Arsenal, one of your big rivals in London, how is the team going to react? And is the team going to look at what Antonio Conte is doing and have the same reaction they did when things were going well. And we don't know the answer to that. Historically, though, with Chelsea's players, and some of them are still there, aka John Terry, that has not been going, uh, that has not been okay. As soon as things went poorly, it was always the manager's fault and the the players kind of, to use a very well-used analogy about Chelsea, threw the manager under the bus. Oh, good. um, Their own bus that they parked Mm, ended up Mm -hmm. driving over him. Uh, Mm -hmm. Chris, to completely flip that, and there are some good things going on here at Arsenal, Arsenal hadn't scored in three seasons uh, against Chelsea, and they decided to score one goal for each of those seasons. <laughs> they did, and I thought they played well. I, I liked <clears throat> I liked seeing Sanchez in that false nine role. I think it worked best for his talents, and also I think took advantage of the fact that, that Chelsea came there to try and, and play. Um as I was talking to Napoon on the, the World Soccer Talk podcast, I don't think it's a role he can play when lesser teams come there and they try to shut down the space and essentially just inhabit their own half. But I think in games against sort of the bigger teams and, and those title rivals, it could be a really shrewd move to, to kind of keep using him in that role. Mm. Is it where are you at all? I mean, yeah, I suppose now Arsenal are getting their players back. That is a good thing. You know, they can start to put all of them in, in the right orders. And this, you could arguably say, was the strongest Arsenal team of the season so far, right? I'd say so. I, th- I think, well, Except Shaka, right, Chris? Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I don't actually think it's a bad thing that they've got options. I think that's that can only be a good thing. Um, if anything, I think in recent seasons, one of the issues they've had is that they haven't had options. They've, they've had to rely on... Cazola uh, and Coquelin in central midfield. Period. No one, no one else can really come in and do anything because the, the reserves and the youth team just aren't at that level yet. So, so I don't think it's a, a huge concern for them personally. I think uh, the the performance from Cazola was good. Let's see what what Xhaka does now. Maybe that lack of pressure on him or that lack of expectation actually helps him grow in a really positive way. I mean, Nipun, there is also the contrast of the substitutions made in this game, which are uh, obviously Coquelin, uh, Iwobi and Sanchez, uh, contrasted with Azar, Fabregas and William. Now, yeah. obviously, Marcus Alonso came on for Chelsea, as did Pedro, as did Batshuayi. But none of those made the effect that maybe Ashaka, Giroud and Gibbs uh, can have on this game. And ultimately, even though they changed their shape, uh, Chelsea even then weren't weren't really showing the options that they wanted. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, they, as you said, they went three at the back, Chelsea did, and they maintained to hold the ball a little bit more than they did in the first half. But honestly, except for a couple of chances for Diego Costa, didn't create that much. There was that one time Pedro went through on goal, but a terrific uh, tackle, I think it was from Bellerin, uh, pretend, uh, prevented anything to develop from it. So it's worrying for Chelsea because the, because the irony about all this is we had Fabregas start this game. And as you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. but it had Matic started alongside uh, Angola Conte. Now, that's those are two midfielders that I can see dominate uh, the, the midfield of Arsenal. So we'll never know the answer of, uh, to that question, but it almost feels like uh, Antonio Conte gave in to the, the general perception of needing to play Fabregas because he had been an impact sub. And Honestly, in this game, which was a huge game, perhaps he would have gone. He should have gone with those two holding midfielders. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also think though that uh, just alone, Matic and Kante should be able to deal with, you know, the attacking line of Ozil, Walcott, Sanchez, and whoever else is on there with them. I mean, there's no there's no disrespect to Arsenal. But I'm just saying. I, I think Matic and Kante are rated as two of the best central defensive midfielders. In Europe last season, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this season, you know, that this formation doesn't seem to be dealing with them. And playing three at the back, um, like you say, it almost it almost becomes a little draconian because it doesn't... It's just weird. Um, but anyway, he must have his reason and thinking behind that. Finally, Nipun, we get on to your specialist subject. Good stuff, fantastic, great. Manchester United, <laughs> 4-1 um, against Leicester. The champions, mm-hmm. of course. Which makes uh, us champions by the transitive property. Champions elect, although there mm-hmm. have been other people that have already ripped that property off. <laughs> um, that was all, That was Liverpool and that was a couple of weeks ago, so it doesn't yeah, count. Yeah, mate, mate, whatever United do, Liverpool have done it before, all right? <laughs> you win a European Cup, done it. Uh, you have a Scottish manager who's inspirational, done it. Done uh, it. What else have you guys fucking done? Didn't think so. Thank you very much. <laughs> um Anyway, get get down to it because it was a great day for Manchester United. Zlatan, Pogba, no Rue, great. Yeah, I mean, uh, it looked better for sure. I think Mata playing behind Zlatan uh, was was way more successful than than uh, Rooney playing behind Zlatan. I think uh, Squawker Davis would do a way better job of analyzing uh, the tactical now of that, but just. From an observatory uh, observatory point uh, standpoint, um, that looked like Zlatan was happier playing in that role. He he allowed the likes of Rashford to run past him. Lingard was in, involved. Uh, Pogba running past him. So I think Zlatan needs that. He needs someone that allows him the freedom. And with Rooney, we've talked about this with Rooney for years, right? With Rooney taking up similar positions uh, as some of the other strikers that have played at United, it can kind of prohibit them from reaching their potential. But more so than that. Wayne Rooney last week was just absolutely terrible, especially in the Watford game. Um, and when he started midweek, I, I was kind of sure that he would be dropped for this game. And honestly, it, it, it was the right thing to do. Uh, Marie, uh, Rooney still has a role in this Manchester United team, but just for now, he needs... Well, the, with Rooney, even Sir Alex in his last season brought the bought, brought sorry the best out of Rooney even though Van Persie was playing well because he made sure to drop Rooney when Rooney wasn't playing well one thing we know about Rooney is that he he he's a passionate player and he, and he he gets annoyed when he's not starting and Sir Alex was able to harness that anger to bring the best out of Rooney and the last three 
managers, well, the, including the current manager, have not done that with Rooney. It's his place has been always guaranteed, and I think that's why we've seen such one of the reasons we've seen such a huge drop in Rooney's performances. So hopefully, now that he has been dropped, he'll do better in the reserves. In the reserves, in the U twenty ones. I mean, that that was interesting, wasn't it? it was uh, Chris the the contrast here of how positive things felt for United, but then. For a while, it didn't look like it was going to be that way. And Leicester actually pushed in the first 20 minutes. I mean, you know, the commentary on Five Live that I was listening to along with a totally legal stream was um, <laughs> was was basically, you know, agreeing. Leicester were dominating early on. And it really took the goal from United to change things and begin to change the mentality around Old Trafford. Yeah, but in the same way that we don't necessarily talk about Leicester's performances last season, only the results. I think we have to do the same again this season. The the results simply aren't there. Um, they don't look, I think, nearly as clinical. I don't think they look actually as organised as they did last season. And I, I just envisage a really tough season for them in it general. Is, I think It is funny you say organised though, Chris, because there was a really good point made on, made on Match of the Day tonight that um, Leicester might suffer as much as, you know, maybe in a, a few of the other physical sides in the Premier League. Because actually, uh, last season, Hooth and Morgan were incredibly physical when marking people. They were touch tight and sometimes more than touch tight. Um, mm. Shockingly. And this new mm, law yeah. now that is brought in has changed the way that they can touch players. So either they agree, look, we're going to no give away touching. some, we're going to give away some penalties or free kicks, or we're fucked. The the thing was last season, and it, I'll be honest, it was not a popular opinion to have. I felt there was a number of instances where Leicester were getting decisions um, that they shouldn't have been. That there were instances where their defenders were incredibly lucky to get away with yes. the kind of things you're talking about. It was a little bit and NBA in, come new NBA, wasn't it? You know, a bit when, you know, when kind of the old defenders transition out, the Bruce Bowens sort of leave and the old style of defending was, it was almost, it was almost uh, mocked in a way. And suddenly people said, but look, we have to get tighter. We have to get tighter on these players. Mm, I mean, in fairness, there was a few offside calls as well. I remember yeah. that went their way. I, th- I think as as well, where they will really struggle this season, and it necessarily didn't come to fruition in this game, is their opposition will not attack them in the same way as they did last season. Because I think there was actually a lot of arrogance in, in the opposition that faced Leicester last year, because every team kind of thought, will not fall for the same thing that the, the team the week before did or the week before that, and will be able to outplay them. I don't think that happens again. And and you can see what they try to do in the summer. They try to essentially just replace and sign similar types of players to the ones they've got. So Ahmed Musa was essentially like Vardy. He could run. He was quick. Uh, you look at Mendy. He was essentially a Kante replacement. I think that's a very naive approach, actually. I think you need to be adding diversity there. And I said this last year as well. You look at uh, Ranieri's history as a coach. Often in club jobs, the second year has seen a considerable drop in terms of uh, the comparison between how they performed in the first season. And again, I just think it's going to happen here. I don't think they'll be anywhere near the top four. I think, honestly, if they oh, make no. yeah, yeah, mid-table, definitely. they'll be lucky. Well, yeah, if they make mid-table, that's probably the aim for this season or to be even just to stay up at this point. But then, Chris, my, my argument to that would also be how do you explain Bruges, for, for, for instance? It's Bruges. 
you know, very good point. So are you are you saying that when they host Porto this week, it's going to be different in the Champions League for Leicester? Well, I mean, Porto Porto aren't exceptional at this precise moment. Either. They're not really the dominant side in, in Portugal. Um, again, I just think when they come up against anyone with even a semblance of idea about what they want to do, they'll struggle. I just don't think. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I just don't even think last season they were the most complicated team in the world. They really weren't. They were a back four that was able to stay together for large portions of the season, which helps immeasurably when you can name the same back four or back five. That builds a consistency. That builds a momentum that can take you from game to game. They sat quite deep. They had a midfielder that could cover ground exceptionally well. And they were able to facilitate counter-attacking goals really easily. Um, and during that mid-season stretch when nobody thought they would be anywhere near the top, teams just kept jumping onto them. They kept falling into the, the same pitfalls that their opponents the week prior had. Good point. I, I mean, I get this with the whole Cinderella element of Leicester. The thing is, when you look at the brass tacks of it, it was really frighteningly simple. There was nothing game-changing or complicated about it. If anything... It was a throwback that exploited the evolution of the game, not an evolution that took it forward. No, very, yeah, no, yeah, and no one ever really thought that it was an evolution in that sense, did they? But it was, it, it was built on clever observations, which are sort of almost predictions, if you like. Um, they've all got their BMWs now; everyone's happy. <laughs> um, but Nipun, yeah, kind of Nipun. Um, what about United? Though? I mean, you know, Mourinho stood to lose his. his third game in a row in the Premier League here and if he had that would have been the first time he'd done that um, since 2002 I think with Porto um, 2002 or maybe 2003 um, but the, the point is that United here need some consistency you can't just have a 4-1 win against Leicester plenty of other people are having success against mm-hmm. Leicester yeah, and I think there's an overreaction from there's an overreaction from the Manchester United community about how quote unquote good Manchester United really were in this right. game, because outside of those 15 20 minute uh, where they where they scored those four goals, uh, three of which were set pieces, uh, United really created very little. Last week they created very little. Uh, before the break, whole city they created very little. First game of the season they created very little. Man City, they created absolutely nothing. So the only game that stands out where Manchester United has created a lot of chances was the Southampton game, where they were truly dominant. Um, so I look at this team, and there's a lot of work to be done. I think having Pogba score his first goal is a healthy thing for Pogba. His own. It's lovely. It's lovely for Paul. A great, great dab. Um, dab, dab. But, th- but there's, I still think there's a lot of issues that need to be worked on. How do you fit Rashford into the system uh, how do you how do you deal with Wayne Rooney? How do you uh, deal with the fact that Martial, who is currently injured, is not playing well? How does Mkhitaryan fit in? What is your starting midfield? Are you going with Pogba along Fellaini? Are you going for two in the midfield or three in the midfield? Uh, Herrera was magnificent to, uh, this week, I thought, he, uh, in both games, in midweek as uh, and also uh, yesterday. So Herrera should be playing alongside Pogba, but probably not in a two. So there's lots of questions still, for, in my opinion. Mm, yes. Of course, Tamari Gray, fantastic. He was great. Yeah. Um, good, well done. Well worth it. Well worth a look. Uh, now, yeah, let's move on a little bit. We can still go through some of this Premier League stuff. There's a lot more to come on this show. Uh, Bournemouth 1, Everton 0. Chris, shock. Shock. 
Shock because Everton had a great start to the season. If you watch the game, I think Bournemouth had the better chances. Yeah. I think they created a, a good deal. Finishing wasn't ideal from them. I think that could be a bit better. That's something they need to improve on if they want to stay up this season. Um, I also think on the flip side of that, Everton will look at the game and say that their own finishing let them down big style as well. Um, there's a chance that Ross Barkley has in the second half where he jumps for a header that really kind of gets underneath. And if he if he kind of times it or judges it slightly better, it's a much easier chance for him and you think he probably puts it in the bottom corner quite easily. Mm. So again, I don't think it's any reason at this point for fans to panic if you're uh, an Everton supporter because you have to lose eventually. <laughs> um, and, and I think ultimately they're fairly safe under common. I, th- I think they'll have a very good season, Everton. Interesting stuff. Uh, of course, Bournemouth happy with the 1-0 there. Bournemouth looking to get to that point total and then away. Um, Poon, I'm going to come to you for a second because yep. Middlesbrough sure. took on uh, Tottenham. Son was a real highlight here, yeah. getting the two goals. Uh, and it's also lovely to be able to see Janssen get an assist. Yeah, Janssen has uh, struggled, hasn't he, since, since he started? Maybe maybe playing without Kane it will bring out the best in Janssen. Uh Kane can play behind Janssen, I think. I think Kane has sh- showed that last season uh, when he's fit that he can play uh, in the role in the attacking midfielder, second striker role. Uh, but yeah, to come back to Son, he was excellent. Uh, again, another brace. I think he scored three braces. Lots of braces. Great teeth uh, for Son now. Um, will they lose him for the national service? That's that's the real issue. Uh, he's He has to complete 18 months before he's 29. So... Uh, Maybe the fact that by then Kane will be back will will level things out. But Tottenham good in this game. I think there was a lot to uh, for for Pochettino to hang his hat on. Uh, Middlesbrough were very poor though. Yeah, I mean they still got the goal. Yeah, but I think uh, so. So when I look at Middlesbrough def- defensively, uh, Callum Chambers horrible the entire time uh the second goal i think was a perfect example of that bargain didn't do much good either i think had it not been for some poor finishing from tottenham uh i think it could have been worse Mm. yeah more on uh, tottenham in the champions league just a little later uh chris is an interesting one uh liverpool five hull city one when i say interesting i mean why is it interesting because liverpool are a fully fitted squad. Hull City are not. Liverpool easily took advantage of this. They scored some great goals, but I, I get the feeling this is going to be more of a narrative for Hull this season. I know I said I thought Hull could record a shock. Um, did you really? Oh, I did, yeah. Right. Um, God, I want up to your failures, haven't you? You really um, did. Failure is an orphan. Success has a thousand fathers. I mean, I, I Liverpool think... were ruthless here. I mean, that, that that's the difference between maybe they Liverpool were. under Klopp and Liverpool a year ago. Is Liverpool ruthless? And their pressing, which I think is something we will likely evaluate every week, mm. was relentless in the opening exchanges. Yeah. And I think that's what really killed Hull. Because if you watch it, they just couldn't build any momentum. They couldn't build any kind of attack because the players couldn't handle it. Mm. Um, I think the main positive to take away from this moving forward is it would seem based off that whole result that Liverpool have been able to formulate a plan that realistically allows them to compete with the lesser sides at home which I think 
often has been the situation that's tripped them up most mm. because teams will come, they'll sit deep and, and how do you pressure a team that is sitting deep? It's quite difficult. Um, you put your line even higher and press the guys who are deep and deep, right? And then, mm. I mean, I guess that's the point with Mane is that, you know, Mane was brought in to do that. Liverpool didn't start with Sturridge. They started with Coutinho, Firmino, sorry, Coutinho, Firmino, yeah. Um, and Mane and Mane Firmino not Firmino more and then uh, obviously you know a couple, a couple of other guys and those guys were making runs um, and it was it was actually really impressive I mean Firmino looked great in this game I, I think to be fair they all look great um, yeah it was and, and like and like I say this is this is the thing is it seems like they've been able to develop this I will be very curious to see how they handle those teams that kind of sit in the middle that are not the elite, they're not those title challenges like City and Arsenal, but they're also not as limited, for want of a better word, as Hull. Mm. Um, those teams that kind of sit mid-table because they will present a, an interesting challenge. I think the good thing you can take away from it is realistically pressing and that kind of style doesn't really rely on technique, it's just effort. So as long as you've got the effort and the energy to do it, it's fairly sustainable across think, the season. I do think that's what what uh, what's interesting is that what uh, Klopp was referring to was almost muscle memory or sort of instinctiveness and almost uh, programming a new instinct into the players as to what they need to do. And this worked out very well for Liverpool in that sense because it showed the crowd that that instinct did seem to be there. Um and obviously, it worked very effectively. Fantastic strikes as well from Liverpool, which won't always go in. So, you know, five-one maybe flatters Liverpool uh, in a sense in that they, it could have, it could or maybe should have been more. Um, it's also worth noting Sturridge came on and it changed the look and shape of that front line, which is impressive and, and good for Liverpool. Also, Clavan and Matip playing out well from the back, uh, and Milner getting particular applause mm-hmm. uh, for being left back here. Uh, yeah, interestingly, Liverpool now top of a lot of charts. Uh, I think it's a passing chart. Uh, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. They're top on, I think they're also top on shots and shots on target. And they're definitely second or third in possession in the league at the moment. So impressive stuff. Uh, If stats matter at all. Thanks, Dave. Uh, at the same time, it's worth mentioning Anfield. Apparently, the atmosphere has changed somewhat. Some people in the top of the main stand uh, saying that they were unable to hear the cop uh, and at times felt a little bit removed from the atmosphere, which is maybe a little bit worrying because, you know, Anfield's obviously famous for that. But the bigger you make your stadium, I suppose, mm-hmm. the harder it's going to be. Uh, however, apparently, Hull City fans are also saying they struggled to hear Liverpool. Um, so, yeah. 
Not many, though. It feels like it's, this a library has become the most common chant across clubs in England, uh, so, yeah. in England. Yeah, it's, it's also sort of, it's a nice insult, even if it is loud, exactly. because it sort it's of like shuts pointless, you up. pointless yeah. insult, yeah. Uh, Is this a library? Well, no, it's clearly defined on the local planning <laughs> regulations as a stadium. Uh, no books, no books in football. We all know that. Mm. Although a student of the game would very often say different, Napoon, and one big student would be Pep Guardiola. He studied mm. Swansea City and then Great transition. wrote Great the transition. dissertation on beating them well 3-1. He sure did. Uh, Chris and I were talking on World Soccer Talk and we were stop, clutching stop at straws. It. It's a great podcast. As it you is. as you always say with Frontier, it's, it's a great podcast. It's a great, uh, great podcast. Great podcast. Uh, we were trying to find a flaw in this Man City team. And maybe you can help us, Lawrence, because yeah. neither Chris and I were able to come up with one right now because they are playing some magnificent possession football. Everything is along the ground. Mm-hmm. Everything is drawn from movement and and these beautiful geometric uh yeah geometric dance all over you the could have said performances the, performances would have been lovely yeah yeah uh, i'm not as good of a poet as you are yeah. lawrence You're a poet. uh so yeah i'm just not as good as you are so uh i i i don't know i can't find i look at this team and i'm wondering In some ways, it's a tragedy, in my opinion, that Liverpool plays Man City all the way at the end of of the year, which I think it's uh, last week in December that they play each other. Because the only team I can see undoing Man City right now, a a full-flowing Man City, that is, of course, they can drop points against Swansea or someone, which they didn't in this game. But uh, a full-flowing Man City, the only team I can see them being undone by is Liverpool. So um, I don't know. I, I don't find a flaw with that team right now think who else could undo them really um that's a really good point i mean also then one game if you're winning the rest of them you know you're somewhat of a machine yeah um i I guess confidence could be one and confidence might be i think that's where city have been very good so far and the system has overcome maybe the individual um misgivings or or problems uh i mean how how much more confidence could you get than having in my opinion, and most people's opinion, the best manager in the world. That gives you massive confidence. Yeah, I mean, that's a very reasonable point and one that I probably struggle to answer. But my point with City would be if we look at their starting eleven over the weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they had Sergio Aguero up front, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, sub, Raheem Sterling, David Silva. Gundogan looks fantastic. I'm still going to yeah. say, as a formation, it's, it's obviously great. I would. I don't. I still don't fancy Kolarov, Otamendi, or Sanya. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, but you know, it, and they will get better. And and I, but I, I also think they'll come up against better opposition than, with all due respect to Swansea, Urente and Sigurdsson. Even though Swansea tried, and that's what I really respect about Swansea and Bournemouth the week before, they both tried to play their football against City so, because they almost realised it was yeah not worth doing anything else. Yeah. I, I guess the I only thing that I can think of. But what about what about coming up Sorry, against a pragmatic manager? I mean, you know, you know, like you say, someone like Klopp, or are we Tony Pulis. At a, oh, that's what I was about to say as a Pulis style manager. <laughs> when do they play West? Brom? I mean, cl- closing down the keeper. That's literally the, everything that's come up again in terms of uh, whenever I've seen City struggle, it's ball balls going back to Claudio Bravo. And that's that's literally the only thing that I've seen where I've thought, okay, they might concede here, is Bravo trying to be a little too clever and being closed down. <laughs> but Napoon, you've forgotten who Man City play next. Mm. 
in both competitions. First of all, they take on, on Wednesday night, brave, brave Celtic. Brave okay. Celtic. Lots of they're good so, lots of good tacticians in there. And they're so top, top, top tactician. They're mm-hmm. so brave the way that they go around Europe, um, facing all those other teams that think they're brave. Um, <laughs> and then they face and these are the two challenges for me, the two teams that I've sorry, three di- they've really got a great run here of City. Um it goes Celtic, Tottenham. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, then they play Everton. I mean, come on, mm. you know, then they play Barcelona. I mean, there come on. Yeah, no, that's actually a game that legit will be fun to watch because Guardiola legit. didn't do well against Bayern last uh, against Barcelona last year when he was at Bayern or last two years while he was at Bayern. So yeah. let's see how he does with City. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I see what you mean. Though. And I'd still like to see someone get at that back line. Legit, as you would say. As you kids Legit. say, youths. Um, still fantastic goals, though, right, Chris? I mean, those goals, them goals, <laughs> great goals, top goals. Are you enjoying Sterling? I mean, how much do you? What is it that's changed in Sterling? Has anything even changed? You just don't it because it has. What has changed? Great question, Lawrence. Well framed. I haven't seen Sterling this good since pre-Brexit. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Um, I, th- I think what it does cement is the notion that actually a coach has a lot of influence on a player. I think he's given him confidence, most of all, because obviously there was those newspaper reports that Guardiola texted him in the midst of Euro 2016 and, and basically said, you know, I'll, I'll fight for you, I'll, I'll uh, be in your corner. I and I think that you. helps a lot. For you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Ster- Sterling, Sterling turned to Joe Hart and he went, this is going to be really good this season. <laughs> Has he texted you yet? No. What? Um, no, must have lost your number. Must lost your number. Probably just busy. Yeah. Um, Texting me. But I think as well, he's made subtle changes into the decision-making process for Sterling. So one of the things I kind of felt about him last season was when he would get into the final third, he just had a nasty habit for trying to shoot when he should pass and vice versa. And in general, his one-on-ones were pretty useless. Um, This time round, he seems to be in better positions in general. Um, And usually when he's faced with the kind of situation that he would flunk last year, he has a pass option open or something like that. So have things changed? I think definitely in terms of the way the team plays and what they demand of him. And consequently, that's got more out of him in general. He's also got a, uh, yeah, that's a, re- it's a great point, Chris. Mentality-wise, Sterling is made and broken on that mentality. And that's what he had in, in his previous best season at Liverpool. Uh, even though he was obviously very good in his first season at United. Uh, United God, that's awkward. City. Um, you wish, Napoon. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, his previous best season uh, at Liverpool, he had someone alongside him who showed him what good decision-making was. And that was, uh, of course, Brendan Rodgers, who said, hey, you should go with this agent. And secondly, uh, Luis Suarez, (laughs) who showed him what decision making was in terms of being ruthless in the pass. Uh, Of course, Luis at that time, not making some great decisions out on the pitch. (laughs) Um, You you make a good point there, Lawrence, because maybe it's a fact that with all the players now at City who, who are playing well, it takes the pressure off Sterling. Whereas last season, a lot of the pressure was on Sterling because Aguero was missing for so much time 
maybe having De Bruyne play at a top level is a revert back to when he was at Liverpool and Sturridge and Suarez were hogging all the headlines and allowed Sterling to just just play football. It, it, it almost feels a little bit like Sterling wants to be one of the Miami Heat, you know? And I don't mean the Miami Heat now. God. I mean mm. Miami Heat when they were great because it's a little bit along the lines of... Sure. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, along those lines, saying, you know, uh, we, we've, we've got this great thing. We're incredible. You know, we're going to be really good. Uh, and everyone should watch us. He loves to be the centre of attention. Um, mm. But we'll see. Uh, the, the Football Ramble just did such a great bit earlier in the week on, uh, is it Seluk or Seluch? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it, you spell it idiot. Yeah, I think you, I think you spell mm. it Brexit. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, and these are just great quotes. They just crack me up every time I read them. If Pep Guardiola wants war, then he can have one. Brilliant. No one's asking, <laughs> but fair enough. Um, Guardiola wins a few games and he thinks he's king. I mean, what I loved was Marcus's reaction to this on the podcast. It was basically like a few games. He few managed games. Barcelona and won a ridiculous amount of trophies. He then went and managed Bayern and won a ridiculous amount of trophies. He's now at the City and is almost promising a ridiculous amount of trophies. I live in Europe, so I can say whatever I like, and Guardiola can't stop me. It's just so great. What does he even mean by that? Like, what is... What can he possibly mean by I live in Europe so I can say whatever I like? I mean, he, I think he's referring to freedom of speech at, at best. But absurdity of the situation is that, yeah, he, he can say anything that he likes. But Guardiola is the guy managing his players. So it's, Guardiola can literally it, do whatever he wants. But it, yeah, it's literally also the case that Guardiola has never tried to stop him saying anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's it, what do I need to apologise for? Okay, I'll apologise if Guardiola apologises to Manuel Pellegrini for what he did to him. Uh, well, you know, I suppose what he's talking about there is that he, you know, Guardiola was essentially came out a bit too early, right? And mm. undermined Pellegrini. Um, right. Not that Pellegrini ever really looked like he gave a shit. Um, exactly. If you're a gentleman, this just does not happen. He signed a new contract last year and then he gets pushed out for Guardiola to come in. Pellegrini was a gentleman. Uh, <laughs> basically what he's saying is, I got backhanded. Um, Guardiola also needs to apologise to Joe Hart. It is not normal <laughs> and it's not right to come to England and to get rid of him, uh, to get rid of a few English players. They send away many people from England, yeah, because all the English players are flooding out the country and they have a lot of Spanish people there. Brilliant. Now he is pro-Brexit. When you come to a country, you must respect the country and respect its people. Brilliant. When Yaya went to Man City, they could only dream about Champions League. The biggest stars in Europe did not want to come to City, but Yaya came. Is there not a quote out there? Well, yeah, yeah. But is there a quote out there? Someone from uh, Pep Guardiola who said, "Didn't he tell Yaya Torre you're going to a yeah, shit team, but a shit club?" Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. They weren't a big club. After he arrives, they started winning two league titles, cups, and now the semis of the Champions League. God, imagine winning the cup of the semi of the Champions League. Mm -hmm. I want City to win everything. Top four in the Champions League, Lawrence. Yeah, well, no, very good point. It's just ridiculous. Uh, it's just great. I want Man City to win everything, to win all their games, because it means more trophies for Yaya. 
I think he doesn't realise what he's doing here. I mean, Chris, we've spoken time after time on the podcast about client management. You're a professional in it. This is, again, shooting yourself in the fucking head. I'm glad you said head because I was going to correct you for a second there. Um, just, he sounds like an idiot, to be honest. There's, there's no other way to dress it up. He, he sounds like a complete idiot. I mean... Like the Ramble said earlier in the week, you almost imagine Yaya Torre just going to training and being asked to just pick up the cones. No need to train today, mate. Why? <laughs> Is he still your agent? Yeah, yeah. Okay. See you around. Like, just, it it, you've got sense. to think what impact it has on future deals as well. If there's a promising player that has the chance to work with Guardiola and he's represented by Selig, I can't imagine that's the easiest sell in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the easiest buy. Um, I, I've never understood these agents who were who were kind of so prominent and so eager to talk like that. And it, it's just, from my understanding, you, you're paid to look after the interests of your client, not yourself. And there's far too many who just try to look after themselves. Very good. But great quotes. Really good. I mean, just imagine being the journalist taking that quote. <laughs> you know? And since when do bloody agents love? I mean, that is one, two, three, four. There's seven paragraphs there. You know, and you made sure to read all of it, Lord. And I did make sure, and I did read it all, <laughs> apart from the very end, which says, "I respect managers like Ranieri who achieve without spending so much money on so many players." Brilliant. Yet he's the one to engineer Yaya's move from Barcelona to Fantastic. Man City. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> um, Jesus, you want managers to spend money? You giant fucking idiot! Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like the turkey going right. When can I get in the <laughs> oven? <laughs> I'm a great fan of what you do with my people in cranberry sauce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when ooh, can we get God. started? Oh, what a succulent asshole! Um, <laughs> I, sorry, I wasn't actually Jeez. quoting the turkey there. I was quoting what I believe to be uh, the habits of him. Um, let's finish on one of the best games of the weekend: Sunderland two, Crystal Palace three. Kristen, Kristen, Kristen. Poor, poor, poor David Moyes. Happy, happy, honey, happy, honey, Connor Wickham. Well, Pardiola. Um, I was surprised to see, and I said this to, to Napoon before, I was surprised to see Moyes throw the players under the bus in his post-match comments. Oh, I thought you He's, meant literally. Um, no. That really uh, would be great, Sky. No one there looked, they'd miss them probably at, the, at this precise moment. Um, and yeah. Oh, shit, we're not reversing. The bus would go down the stairs or something like that. Um, I think he's not done... This isn't the first time he's done this this season already. He's, he's done it a few times. And the partition he's creating between the two is very concerning because when that relegation battle rolls round, one which he's already confirmed they're in, all of five, six games in the season, it, they're going to need each other. And when you've spent a good portion of the early season saying that it's their fault they're in this mess... I don't really know what that achieves. I mean, he did similar with Adnan Yanazai saying that he needs to, to book his ideas up and it's it's his fault his career's stalled. Again, I, I don't know what that achieves. It, it seems to me very stick-heavy with little sight of carrot, which doesn't seem the most conducive to success. Um, in terms of the actual play itself in the match, the second that Palace managed to score one, Sunderland looked absolutely terrified. Um, the decision making was poor it looked like it was filled with uncertainty 
Um, instead of trying to go for a third, they just looked desperate to hang on for uh, at first kind of a win, 2-1, and then a point. And you look at that last goal, and Moyes even said it himself, why are we giving Benteke a free run on goal um, in the last 30 seconds? Because he did. He basically hung on the edge of the the very edge of the penalty box and then had a free run into goal to run and jump at a header it was, it was absolutely criminal I, I still don't know how it, that came to pass that's a good point about uh, sorry to jump in Lawrence but that's a good point about David Moyes because I wonder if he's just a man who's trying to find well he is but it sounds like a man who's really trying to find his feet again in football because as you point out him throwing up the bus it's something he never did. So at Everton, he always protected the players. We, we remember times when Fellaini would throw elbows, which he still does to this day. Uh, but Moyes always protected him. Steven Pienaar having poor performance after poor performance. Moyes protected him. Went to Man United. So many players played so poorly for David Moyes. And yet he never came out and, and directly uh, insulted any players. Or, or even said that you know players didn't follow his tactics or anything of that sort. We remember Van Persie having absolutely poor performances, Rooney, all of these players. Even at Real Sociedad, he did. He had some players that really he could have criticized. Yet, six games in, he's doing it at Sunderland. So it almost feels like he's a man who's short of confidence and, and needs uh, need, is trying something new, I guess. Mm. Well, I mean... Yeah, still plenty to come. Uh, big game of the week is obviously still lined up, guys. Burnley, Watford. Um, there, but there's plenty more going on around Europe. Uh, Barcelona won 5-0 against Sporting. Neymar, the centre of that one. Uh, Las Palmas obviously drew with Real Madrid, making it interesting there as well. And clearly one of the most interesting games of the weekend, and I, I can't stress this enough, was Villarreal 3 Osasuna won, Atletico Madrid won, uh, Deportivo nil in Serie A, Juventus uh, still keep themselves on the top, uh, but Napoli very close behind that, Inter slipping behind to a one-all with Bologna, Napoli keeping pace there in Serie A, Chris, I mean, this this is the sort of thing, early on it's obviously very easy to keep up with Juve, but is that the worry that the old lady will get away? Like Wayne Rooney said. <laughs> no, is that the worry? I don't think it's the worry, it's the reality. The, the, you look at the team, you look at the depth, there's just far more than anyone around them. And, and you're looking for a superhuman season from one of those rivals, I think, to, to unseat them. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's not a huge um, surprise to, to think of Juventus as, as Serie A champions, I think they. I think they record that victory quite easily. Um, so yeah, you know, at least there'll be some intrigue. It was nice to see Joe Hart get a win with Torino. Yeah, I mean, um, Chris, arguably one of the hard, the hardest game that Joe Hart's faced so far this season. I think I uh, saw a tweet from, I think it was James Horncastle, who who basically said, uh, "Let me try and find it for you." Uh, basically, he's going to be facing the guys who have taken the most shots this season inside the box and uh, had some of the most successful uh, opportunities in Syria. Oh, sorry, not Siri. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was exceptionally timed. It was yeah. uh, was was planned. 
I'm I'm pleased to see how um, in Serie A he's he's making history one way or another. He conceded Totti's 250th goal, um, so you know he'll go down in history regardless. Now, I think Roma are an interesting prospect. I like a lot of their attacking options. Um, Salah and Stefano Sharawi are two of the more exciting, I think, attackers in Serie A. Again, it's just that consistency, I think, and and that's what will define the title race for for me. Is is how do they manage that? Because I don't know if they have the depth, personally, Roma. I look at that team and, and that squad, and I just wonder who's coming in behind them. Mm, yeah, very good point. Um, you also sort of feel the same at this point uh, in Liga, where you know PSG's result, uh, and then uh, top of the league at the moment, Chris, uh, running away with it, essentially, uh, is a side that, wait, hold on, actually, no, some people did expect this, right? Sorry, what was the question? I sneezed. Good. Uh, nice, top of the league in uh, Liga, uh, and that's very nice. It is Balotelli. He's not thrown past her at anyone, and now his life's come together. What a what a coincidence! Um, oh, fuck. Most people are shouting. Fuck. They they are developing a habit for rehabilitating these former wonder kids. Can't wait to see him play um, for PSG. I was going to say, I'm curious to see if Sonny Pike is the next to pitch up at Nice and see what he can do with his career. Um, I think... Ready, I do. Watching... No, there's no hope for him. Um, mm. Watching them, watching PSG against Toulouse on, on Friday, I thought they were really poor. Um, Di Marie in particular was, was pretty shocking. In fact, um, L'Equipe ran the headline that Paris takes a slap, and I think that's the best way to describe it. Um you know what it is the, the more I watch PSG the more I think they'll, they'll likely be okay in the league they've just got too much individual quality I think for, for anyone to mount a serious challenge I can see them tanking the Champions League though I, th- I think they'll for a team that's done not too bad in recent seasons I think they've got to the semi-finals the last few years or the quarter-finals I don't see that repeat this time around I think they'll really struggle I think in fact they could even go out in the group stages wow over in Bundesliga, uh, Dortmund 3-1 against Freiburg. Chris uh, and a couple of other people on the part of directors towards... Is it Kayla Kay Knapp uh, on Twitter who said Dortmund's last four games, 20 goals, uh, 12 different goal scorers. Just how, she asks. They look very impressive, Dortmund, at the minute. They're, they're playing with real fluency. Uh, Guerrero, who they signed from Lorient. They've actually shifted him inside. He was predominantly a, a left-sided player when he was in France. But they've moved him inside and it's it's had a really big impact on, on not just his performances, but Dortmund in general. Um, he's a funny old case, Guerrero, because he's Portuguese, played for Portugal this summer in the Euros, but didn't actually speak fluent Portuguese when he joined the, the club because he was raised mostly in France. Ah, OK. So he's taking a slightly different route in that sense. Mm. So there were there were actually some linguistic issues when he first joined up with the Portuguese squad, and I think some of them are still present. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Dortmund march on uh, as to Bayern one 0 against Hamburg, and then Chris, talk to me about Leipzig. RB Leipzig. Oliver Burke has his first Bundesliga goal. Um, watching him. He just reminds me a little bit of Gareth Bale as a youngster. 
which is an immense amount of pressure to put on a young man, but still, which just more the ways... Bit. I mean, was this before or after they tried to sell him? Uh, kind of very... Yeah, probably about that time, actually, when he when he first joins Tottenham, and he's, you can tell he hasn't quite filled his body out yet. Um, great, great left-back. Awkward. He was. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I think he's got all of the physical tools, and he seems a very confident young man. As well, and his goal, his goal was actually really well taken against. Uh, I think it was Cologne they played. It was Cologne, yeah. And I, I think for me, it gives me an extra incentive to watch the Bundesliga because I'm very curious to see how he pans out. It's a, a little bit of a risk. I don't know how much say he actually had in accepting the the transfer to to Rebel Leipzig, but again, it, it looks like it could be a one that really helps his career. Cologne number one, presumptive but uh, still a good club good. anyone know why there are so many there seem to be so many numbers uh, in German teams is it just still you know it's a bit Vorsprung Durst technique it's a little bit sort of you know it's a bit like Leicester City 05 you know or Leicester City 16 I suppose um, you know it's, it, there are a lot of numbers in German football why anyone because no literally, I, I can't find any numbers uh, really for other sides. I know there's like you know important numbers for other sides, like you know Liverpool five European cups, um, <laughs> or you know zero Premier League titles. Zero Premier League titles, <laughs> yeah. Um, which, if you put those two together, looks a bit like a fifty. Um, it does. So, um, but, you know, I mean, does anyone else notice that there's sort of certain qualities to each league's names? You know, like MLS is clearly very. Very, very, very clearly like that. Um, speaking of which, Chris, do you want to chat a little bit about MLS? Because you've been writing some great summaries of the league uh, for Yahoo and a couple of other people over the last... I read... You, was it ESPN that you did your last uh, summary for? Which you no, tweeted out? Yahoo. That was Yahoo, excuse me, my mistake, sorry. Uh, I won't cut that out, but yeah, thanks for your unplug. Um, which you <laughs> tweeted out during doing the last... Um, yeah, because Jordan Morris scored twice, um, and he's now the highest-scoring American rookie in MLS history. And he's he's done really well because he's had an exceptional amount of pressure on him uh, this season to, to kind of deliver as the, the next great American hope. And it hasn't always gone well for him. He's missed some easy chances. But I think as the season and the year has progressed, so too has his talent and ability, as I think he's learned. Um, and having sat down and, and talked to him, and interviewed him once or twice. Um, he's just a very nice guy. He's, he's very relaxed. He's, he's not arrogant. He's really could kind of just believe that he's, you know, your mate from, from back home. He's, he's uh, very personable. And I think he'll, he'll only continue to get better as, as things go on. How much better? I think he's easily good enough to play in Europe. I mean, he had that offer with, with Bremen uh, at the start of the year. Opted not to take it. Signed for Seattle, play at home. Um, I think there comes a point where he goes to Europe. I, th- I really do. I think he's got exactly what you need. He's benefiting now from the fact he's getting consistent match time, which is helping him learn a lot, whereas I don't think he gets that necessarily at Bremen. Um, so, yeah, I, overall, I think he could play in Europe. I think he could have an established career in a top league in Europe as well. Um, yeah, I think he. I think he is that good. Now, let's get down to it, guys. Um, there is some good stuff going on this week uh, in the Champions League, but not least that you can go over to FanDuel. And if you use the code I am the whole when you sign up for FanDuel, then you guys uh, can get some great deals through our very good deal. Nipuni, are you on FanDuel? I am because of the podcast. Really? 
Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Okay, you're not in the UK, so you didn't help our shit stats, but um, still, <laughs> it's great, great, great that you support us. Um, you, you, you big into your fantasy football? I mean, you are an American. Not, I, I would, that would be a lie if I said I was. But Fangio was a lot of fun. You weren't until you until you heard our Un- until it was T, you know TF3 great TF3. podcast. Great, great podcast. Um, anyway, uh, you guys can head over there and join us there. Uh, you can find me at, well, I think it's not at, it's just Loscast TF3. Um, you can also find Dave. I think it's, it's it might be Dave Talks TF3. Uh, and when Adam Boltwood gets back, he's also going to sign up. Um, and as will Kristen very soon. Right, Chris? Almost definitely. Almost definitely. Uh, Anyway, head over there because this week you can play in the Champions League competitions. I've not actually received the email yet from FanDuel, but we will tweet out which league you're supposed to go enter. Um, You you basically get a little bit uh, you get a little bit more money if you sign up through us. Uh, So you you get you get a better offer essentially, Uh, and you'll also be showing uh, FanDuel that you listen hard enough to our podcast and and care enough to go over and sign up please do go over and sign up i am the whole is the code all block capitals all worth it because this week you will be fielding some fantastic players Uh, for instance on tuesday night chris some great games out there dortmund real madrid to start i mean geez that looks like it could be a cracker just because of the the form of the two teams dortmund look great again at the weekend um, and Real Madrid had that little bit of a yeah. I mean, two to all, two all against Las Palmas with Ronaldo. Yeah. yeah, what was that? I mean, in fairness, Las Palmas have started really good. Yeah. They're no slouches. Um, the the thing is, it's the Ronaldo substitution, um, mm. and how much that defines the politics around that club. Which, again, I, you could have a separate podcast just discussing that. We, I mean, uh, AKA Juice says, uh, with Real Madrid looking out of ideas when they reach the final third, are we finally seeing the true management of Zidane? I feel like that's a little bit unfair. Yeah. Um, because obviously he, he shaped the team after Benitez left. Um, but I mean, you know, what, what are we to read about their lack of, in inverted commas, creativity? They still scored two goals in this game. Nipun. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think with Real Madrid, the analysis is always when we look at their tactics. Which manager in the last ten, fifteen years has really added any sort of new tactic to Real Madrid? And the only person I can think of is Ancelotti when he played Di, Di Maria in that three-man midfield. Beyond that, it's a team of individuals of brilliant individual talent. So I don't think. Maybe I'm doing Zidane a disservice just by saying that too, but I don't think them uh, dropping points and maybe not scoring four, four or five goals like they did in the first couple of games of the season means they're not firing on all cylinders. It's just that when you have your best, one of the two best players in the world not firing and you don't have you know, Neymar and, and, and uh, Suarez behind him, but you have Bale who himself is struggling for injuries. You have Rodriguez who is struggling for form. You have Isco who is in and out of the team. Maybe that's simply the reason. Your your team of individuals isn't firing on all cylinders. That should be the analysis of Real Madrid. Mm. Uh, well, you can put definitely some Dortmund players in that uh, fan duel team. Uh, and then don't hesitate to look for... Well, you know what? There's some, there's some good ties in here. Anyone else want to shout out a tie? I do like Spurs going away to... Celtic Man Moscow. City, baby. Celtic Man City is on the Wednesday. Am I Wednesday, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, correct. Wednesday. 
Yeah, and not not least also uh, Gladbach taking on uh, Barcelona, which would be a great game. Mm, yeah, and then obviously Atletico Bayern. That's exactly where I was going to go after that. Well, I went there first, Lawrence. I mean, so. sure, you go, you went there and you stayed. There. I went there. You're more than welcome <laughs> to it. Um, Never come back. Napoon, thoughts on this game? Because obviously, you know, Atletico uh, um, by the last time they they met, mm-hmm. when was that? That would have been. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, the, t- the the time when uh, Bayern just about squeezed through mm-hmm. last season um, well this season last season this year last season yeah I watched Atletico this week and even though they only won one nothing, they, they were absolutely dominant against La- Deportivo La Coruña um, there's I think there's something at Atletico Madrid that feels different though from last season even though so forget about the off field stuff with the contract you know everyone's talking about the Simeone contract stuff, but even on the pitch, it seems to me that Simeone, maybe it's because of what he's dealt with, there's, there's almost an, an attempt to to a, a new system. I feel like they're possessing the ball a lot more than they did last season, and that will come up against Bayern, who mm. we know because of what Guardiola uh, has has uh, infiltrated into the minds of those players. That's even though Ancelotti is trying to change it, rightfully so. There's still that that belief that Bayern Munich will move the ball around. So we are coming up to a, 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 a battle where last season Atletico Madrid would have been a perfect for this Bayern Munich right now. And you kind of hinted at that in your question. But this Atletico Madrid, which is slightly tweaked from last season, I don't know how they do against Bayern. Uh, and I genuinely believe that Bayern might wallop them. Interesting, because... Uh, long-term form, which essentially means nothing in this because it's spread over so many seasons and so sporadic, uh, would suggest that Atletico are at home. The Vincente Calderon, which they have Mm -hmm. won 25 of their last 30 European matches there. And Bayern have won just two of their last 10 Champions League away Mm -hmm. matches. Um, And deal. Losing five and uh, drawing three. Um, Mm Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they've not got a historically uh, a fantastic. Uh, yeah, but my, my point. Yeah, my point still is that Atletico Madrid this season is not Atletico Madrid last season. Same with Bayern. Bayern this season is not Bayern last season. Uh, the way he's using Frank Ribery off of the bench, um, I, I think that's different. I think in midfield, they, absurdly, Bayern Munich to me looks stronger in midfield this season than they last did last season. So. Um, I don't know. I still consider Bayern to be favorites. Maybe Wallop was a huge exaggeration. Yeah. Uh, trying to, I'm trying to clickbait people who are already listening to the podcast, Lawrence. Uh, Please uh, do go I follow think, him. Nippoon Chopra yeah. 7? That's it. You yeah. got it right. First try, Lawrence. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think Bayern, in my opinion, are favorites. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I'd agree. I think I was actually just trying to do a really good uh, James... Uh, what's his name? Jay, the guy from the football weekly uh oh. yeah you know an impression of him james richardson james richardson he always drops in some great stats and i'm always really impressed um you know just some nice little historic i was, I was impressed Lars. yeah thanks uh, and then also uh chris and you will enjoy this one because it's slightly off the wall napoli benfica beautiful yes i will enjoy you right yes and then obviously arsenal take on basel at home uh that would be also. Basel are doing cracking, by the way. Really? Yeah, they have lost a game this season. Well, that will continue. In fact, the the gap between 
themselves in second place is greater than the gap between bottom of the league and second place. Wow. Okay. Uh, They've got Seydou Dumbia as well, who was always a Champions League favourite. Uh, yes, uh, and everyone loves that name anyway because A. A. Sado is good and Dumbia is also fantastic. Um, He's 28 again this year. <laughs> uh, where, where, how is he doing? Um, anyway, of course, Leicester take on Porto, like we said earlier, uh, and Spurs away in Moscova. I wish we said Moscova in the English language. It's just so much prettier. Monaco, of course, taking on Leverkusen. That's a fantastic game on the Tuesday night. Uh, Monaco, of course, uh, beating Spurs in the first round. And then Sevilla uh, taking on Lyon. Yeah, I think that's about it for interest-wise. Uh, Sporting, obviously, take on Legia. Warsaw no in the last... For, for Ludogorets, your beloved Liverpool rival. Uh, great guy. No love. You say, right, I love how you I love how you put them on the same <laughs> level when you say Ludogorets <laughs> and Liverpool. Instant rivals. <laughs> Can you, I say? You, you guys talk a big game together. for a United fan who's just lost away from home uh, in the Champions League. It, sorry, it wasn't the Champions League. It was the Europa League. It wasn't in the Champions League. Yeah, it was in that's Europe. awkward. Um, yeah, of course. Fan- fantastic to have you on the podcast, Napoon. Uh, mm. Anyone else got anything to drop in, uh, sort of sporting-wise? I feel like we've covered quite a lot on this podcast tonight. Bradley Wiggins, or have we not got the legal team to discuss that? No, I mean, we can discuss it if you want. I mean, uh, Bradley Wiggins being accused of sort of using illegal drugs in the sport, Chris. Uh, What's your view on this? Because a lot of people, obviously, he's been hacked. Uh, He sort of says he's very open about using steroids, etc., etc. You know when people said he's a wonderful character? Yeah. I just thought that was called for he's really obnoxious, but he's very good at what he does, so we can't point that out. (laughs) And now that he's been caught doing drugs, everyone can go, actually, he's really obnoxious. Have people been saying he's really obnoxious? No, but I, I would like to lead that charge. <laughs> and I um, won't even need steroids to do it. Very good. Uh, yeah, you'd be ahead of the peloton, essentially, Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, he comes across a little bit cocky, but I mean, he's still... Yeah, well, I mean, Chris, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that a cyclist was accused of doing something illegal and then it turned out to be true? True. That's a good point. Yeah. It's uh, it's the same with cricketers. It's like just you? know your know your place in the food chain. <laughs> you, brilliant. I mean, Chris, like it, it's Chris just is the like he's the mo he's the Olympian that has achieved the most for Britain ever. Like the thing is, right? So for those who don't know, I, I live in Durham. Yeah. Um, and apart from having essentially an incredibly subpar semi-football, semi-professional football team, yeah, but when, cricket is the sport here. Come on, Chris, and the amount say, of times I saw on. cricketers peacock around nightclubs, and I thought, I've genuinely got no idea who you are unless someone tells me. Yeah, but Chris, at the same time, you can't say, know your place in the food chain and then start the next sentence, I live in Durham. You know, <laughs> it, just, it doesn't work that way. But that's exactly why... I don't come down to the London place and start acting all Billy Big Bollocks. <laughs> I'm well aware I've done exceptionally well to get out of a mining town. Yeah. In yeah. Biggie Bo- Big Bollocks' defence, she had elephantitis, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. In the same way that Gary Goals had also had that issue. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's been good to have you guys. Thanks a lot for coming along tonight. Uh, do head over to FanDuel. I am the whole is the code. It, it's just good... And we're playing it. Dave is absolutely loving it. He's actually won some money so far on it. Uh, I think he's the only one that's won a bit of money on it, but still worth going over. Yes, he's got time to play. Yeah, I mean, he is busy. He was out on a date tonight, Chris. 
Well, uh, yeah, sometimes he gets a bit funny about us saying dates because I think he thinks that girls go and listen to the podcast <laughs> after he's been on the date. <laughs> no, of course, that's what they do. Yeah, I've not heard enough from this guy. Yeah. Actually, love, when we fall asleep, do you mind if I just play the podcast that I'm on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, great guy, Dave. Uh, if Hey, if we're not accusing the people of doing <laughs> drugs on this, then we're accusing them of falling asleep next reward. So, yeah. Um, a man with anyway. many fingers and many pies. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nipun, I'll, uh, I'll see you again soon as well, right? Thanks, Lawrence. Great to ha- talk to you and Chris. I know, right? It's been really good. Um, we'll, and we'll see you guys all again soon, right? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right. Yeah. Uh, See you again soon on TF3.